We are here for our latest news and brews with Adam Benner of Landgrant Brewery. Adam, we always like to start these off with a little bit of history. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how Landgrant came to be? Sure thanks. So uh, thanks for being here, guys. Uh, we, uh, it, it really all started about six years ago or so. Fast forwarding a little bit, we're about to celebrate our fourth anniversary. So we, my, myself uh, and one of my college roommates, uh, we both went to Ohio State. After school, we went our separate way. I, uh, I went to uh, Chicago, Walt moved to uh, New York, and we kept in touch uh, throughout the time. And I started homebrewing as a hobby. I thought it was, uh, I was always inquisitive and wanted to figure out how beer was made, started doing it as a hobby. And while I was living in Chicago, a lot of new breweries were popping up. We lived by a few of them, so I started talking to a lot of their owners and the brewers there and got really into the beer culture. As a lot of home brewers do, you name your brewery, you name your product, and you start making labels and bottles. And lucky for me, Walt is a world-class graphic designer, so he started making labels for our homebrew, and things started looking better than stuff we saw on the shelf. And started tasting, that's uh, good, uh, pretty good, and we decided to kind of give it a go. We, there was a brewery in Chicago that we followed that uh, did a Kickstarter campaign to help launch their brewery. We thought that was a, a great idea, and but we had always talked about coming back to Columbus. Well, Walt's from Cincinnati, I'm from Cleveland, but we met at Ohio State, loved our time here, and this we saw a lot of what was happening a few years prior in Chicago happening here, a lot more breweries uh, starting to open up, a lot of uh, bars committing a lot of taps to craft beer and really wanted to be part of that. So we, we did the Kickstarter campaign back in uh, February of 2012, which was successful. Uh, if you're ever here at the tap room, you can see all our backers on, on the wall in their Kickstarter room. And uh, it took us about two years or so to find the right building, had a couple hiccups um, on a building that kind of fell through in Grandview. but got down here in Franklinton at the end of 2015, did some renovation and build out for the next several months. And as I said, we're celebrating our fourth anniversary here coming up. Uh, what year did you lease it? So that was, that was our, one of our biggest developments this year. Uh, we had leased it. The family that, that owned the building was down here for about 50 years or so. They, and, and we finally bought the building uh, about a month and a half ago. So just at the end of July. So now that was a big, step for us as all as we look around here it's funny every time i would give a tour down here i would be like look out the front front door eventually there's going to be stuff <laughs> going in there and now it's wow look at that five-story apartment and so with everything going down in franklinton that has really kind of uh, solidifies our future down here which we're proud of being down here and excited uh, so when you opened how many breweries about were there in, in when we did the kickstarter it was only the two Barleys, so Barleys and Barley Smokehouse, Elevator, CBC, Gordon Biersch, Four String had just kind of opened. Uh, yeah, Rock Mill. Sort of a different. I'm trying to think if um, uh, Neil House was still open at that time. I think they, they may have been, but uh, Seven Sun was still known as Born at that time, and Zauber which is now Endeavor hadn't opened up yet. So there was only a handful. And then by the time we opened, uh, North High hadn't opened up yet, but North High was open. Wolf's Ridge opened, I think, a year prior to, to when we did. So there was there was about a dozen maybe about that time. And then after that, I mean, it's, it's you know, obviously continued, so. So what appealed to you about um, this location? 
We'd always, one thing that we, we talked about it in the Kickstarter video, we wanted to be in an urban location. We wanted to be a production brewery, but in an urban location. It's a brewery in Chicago, half acre, that uh, I loved going to. It's right in the middle of a neighborhood, North Center, right off Lincoln Avenue, that um, you walk by in the middle of summertime, they got their, their garage doors open, or you think of breweries being part of the community, like they were, like even what sprouted German Village was the brewery down in the brewery district that, or you look at breweries out in Europe, they're not always just these big um, out in business parks or industrial parks. So we wanted that communal aspect of beer to be part of the brewery itself. So being from Cleveland and Walt from Cincinnati, we had this you know, idea of these old warehouses you'd turn into a, turn into a brewery like in Ohio City, like with Great Lakes or what Brian Geist did down in Cincinnati. and. So we, we looked and looked and looked at uh, all, pretty much every building in, uh, from, from the moment the Kickstarter ended in 2012 till uh, we found this building at the end of 2015 uh, to find that had enough space, it had high ceilings, uh, and unfortunately for us, Columbus uh, doesn't really have that building stock in the urban core like a lot of those cities, being too young of a city in that, in that right in the manufacturing. So it took us a while. and. We benefited from the fact that it took us a while because our friends at Seven Sun and, and, and North High and Four String all kind of hit the wall in capacity and didn't have any room to put more tanks. So that made us to start to look at even bigger buildings, um, which uh, we had looked down in Franklinton really early on. We actually looked at some of the, uh, the buildings that are just across the street, but they just needed too much work for the timing that we had. And we thought, oh yeah, we, we, we can't keep on <laughs> delaying this, but ended up driving by here one day, saw a four-lease sign, and that had just coming out of contract, and the timing was right for us. And been, it's been great being down here in, in Franklinton, be part of part is of this neighborhood. Is it big enough for you now, or are you up? We have been out of space for new tanks for the past year and a half, basically. We we squeezed a couple more tanks in about 18 months ago, and because of the way the brewery lays out, we couldn't fit any more in. One of the things that we made the decision this year that was a, a big step and a shift for us is the partner with the wholesale distributor with Columbus Distributing. So one of our big coolers that we've been storing kegs is coming down in the next couple of weeks and we'll be able to put, we're putting in a, six more fermenters, 80 barrel fermenters, so almost doubling our capacity. So that'll get us by for a, a little bit, but as with anything, that's uh, more space would always be nice. How do you control growth or do you just let it go? We have been pretty cognizant and, and try to really think about how we want to grow. And if you, if you asked us five years ago versus um, even a couple years ago, what, where we are today or where we see ourselves has completely changed. That, I think a lot of breweries that started up when we were in planning had the idea that, oh, we'll be a regional brewery because that's what a lot of you know, microbreweries did. They, you, you, you hit your home city, then you spread out to some other cities, and then some of the surrounding states where even after a couple years we realized well that's not the direction we want to go but you know maybe you know we'll send beer up to Cleveland and Cincinnati and, and spread it out through the whole state but we've even in the past year shifted our focus to really concentrate on Columbus concentrate on Central Ohio and 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 do what we can to be a premier brewery down here so that's uh, that's that's one thing that we we pulled back a little bit on where we wanted to kind of send beer out and different things, but I always say like, I never wanted to, to go somewhere with our beer and say, hey, it's here, come buy it. 
if there was, you know, if there was enough people, if we figured out that, you know, not in Columbus wanted to drink our beer, we'd sure, sure we'd figure a way. But that's that's what we we try to. Uh, we grew very fast to start, and then have pumped the brakes a little bit to make sure we're focusing on all the other areas of the business too. One of the uh, uh, ways you guys have grown is through your relationships with the sports teams around town. Uh, the crew, the Blue Jackets, Ohio State. How did that develop and grow? Yeah, that's, that's another thing that kind of goes back to the, we even talked about in our Kickstarter. Well, Walt and I are big sports fans. I, I mentioned we went to Ohio State. It's a big part of our lives. When we looked at kind of the, the beer landscape, you never really had craft beer in sports. And that's something that we're like, well, that. You know, Columbus Sports Town. This all kind of fits together and makes sense. And the way we always looked at beer, we wanted to make accessible beer. We make high quality beer, but making sure that you know the styles that we go through that are, are of many occasions. So, and one of those being watching a game uh, with friends, going to a game, being tailgating before it, having beer that you can do that with. So um, that was cognizant when we opened the tap room to have TVs here that you could come down. It went from the day we opened, the Ohio State didn't lose that whole year and won the national championship. So that was we um, we we'll take a little credit. And then when we partnered, so Walt and I, uh, the guys that we lived with in college were all really big soccer fans. We all followed the EPL back back then and and went to a lot of crew games. And after the crew went through their rebranding, that's about right when we opened up. And the timing just was right. And they were talking about partnering with a lot more local vendors and. Um, one of our our other college roommates worked at the crew. He's like, I can get you an introduction, and so we started talking to them. They, we we were all on the same page. They had never partnered with a local brewery before. They wanted to do a beer, and we're like, this could be kind of really cool. And that connection just early on, it just made sense to us because that was, I mean, a lot of my life always says like the brewery is kind of an extension of all mine. We both were pop culture. There's a lot of pop culture references and stuff. We a couple Seinfeld beers. Uh, uh, and you know the sports thing, so that was that was just natural for us. So uh, through our relationship at at, at Moffray Stadium, being that we were kind of the first small guy to to, to work with uh, the different vendors there, Levy Restaurant Group, who also does Ohio State, had us in the suites in the Huntington Club when they started selling beer and alcohol in there. They told us that the, you know we knew that the stadium may one day go state uh, go stadium wide with alcohol sales, but. Uh, it was actually a business first article that we got the official uh, this this is that the, wasn't the shameless plug, plug I guess but we read it it said it said it said you know Ohio State's going uh, stadium wide with alcohol sales and Land Grant Brewing will be the anchor craft beer and we're like oh man like I don't know if we have enough capacity to do that so so we were talking to Levy and we ended up buying two more 80 barrel fermenters that pretty much made stiff arm that whole year and so that a lot was luck and uh, and just having that great relationship when the Blue Jackets, when we started talking to them, it was also, I mean, one thing we want to be, you know, everywhere you can drink, uh, drink beer in Columbus, we, we want to be there. And when we partnered, the, we're going into our third year of the partnership with the Blue Jackets. Both years they've made the Stanley Cup playoffs, so they didn't prior to that. Uh, so again, and then the first year with Blue, with the with Crew SC, they made the MLS Cup final. So we are we have very good luck charms. So, so we're, what does that mean having your name in these uh, where a lot of people go? Does that translate to sales in these stores as well and more business here? In? I think especially uh, the Crew partnership that we had that really got our name out there. It was we had just opened up. 
the crew went on a big run, and it, it was surreal, especially even some of the national press we got from doing glory with them. And when folks are coming in for the MLS Cup, or even when uh, USA Mexico played last year, there were people coming straight off the airplane directly here. Like there was people with bags that because they saw us uh, with our connection with MLS and US soccer. And so that was, that, that was really cool. And then when we're in stores and different things now, the fact that you can get our beer at Ohio Stadium in Stiff Farm, that's one that a lot of people, even, even though we were open for two years prior to that, that's, that's one that got our, our name in front of a lot of people that even we, we go before the games and walk around because a lot of the people that sell the beer there are volunteers for their like, cheerleading groups or raising money for scouts or something. So we're walking around, we're talking, and we're like, we're from Land Grant. We're a brewery here in Columbus. They're like, okay. We're like, oh, those cans back there that you're not unloading, <laughs> that's our beer. And they're like, oh, we thought those were Coke cans because it's under red can. So even at that point, we still needed to, uh, we, were, we were still t uh, teaching people about our beer. And, uh, but it definitely, so many people, I think one of the bigger impacts that we didn't even realize after the first year with the Blue Jackets, we'd be at events and people are like, you guys make goon. You know, we saw you guys at, we, we'd see, you, we drink your beer at Nationwide. And, um, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons uh, we do it to get our name out there too. But I think one thing that we've looked at with those partnerships too is how we can uh, do stuff like Glory or different things that we can help elevate the brands as well. So everything's been unicorns and rainbows because you got your Kickstarter going, you got all these wonderful contracts with sports teams. Have there been any issues or has everything been smooth? Now? Oh, it's it's just been all unicorns around here. And, uh, so, yeah, we our, our first our first big issue, I mean, every, it's with any business, the first one, our original name during the, the Kickstarter was Oval Brewing Company. So luckily we weren't too far along, but uh, I can get you some keychains, and uh, we, we for a while we were using the pine glasses, and had a lot of T-shirts and stickers and stuff that we had had bought. But went to trademark the name uh, after the successful Kickstarter, and there was an Austrian vodka called Oval Vodka that uh, had the name trademark. Yes, yeah, so so it's not Ohio State. It's not Ohio State. So they would have yeah, come yeah, Which which is funny. We saw this past year they right. did that Oval Vine the wines, and I was like, I don't know if you guys can do that. But we were working we were working with Moritz, their uh, mm -hmm. entrepreneurship legal clinic at, at at Moritz College of Law. So we we were working with you know tech not Ohio State specifically, but the the school there, and uh, that was kind of a surprise, but. We, we pivoted at that point and went with the name Langrant being that uh, Ohio State's Langrant College. So still not to our alma mater, but that was, that was the first one. But the biggest one was, I, I touched on it briefly, we had a building in Grandview that uh, we ended up, we were right before we went to present before Grandview City Council, we, we found out, it was on a Wednesday we were gonna present, on Monday we found out they were pulling us from the agenda. And then later that afternoon, we got a letter from our landlord saying they were canceling our lease. So we had already, had all the plan, we had the equipment ordered, we had all the plans drawn, we spent money on engineering and all that stuff. And so that set us back at least a year. So that, um, one of the reasons we ended up taking two years after the Kickstarter. So that was a huge blow. That was, uh, that was one of the darkest days. We didn't know if we were from in the brewery's history. We didn't know at that point, because we had already started, it took us 18 months to find that building. If it was gonna continue, we hadn't made any money. <laughs> ended up working out here but I think with all running out of space <laughs> it's been a has been a big challenge uh, but you know it's uh, 
we've, we've had our ups and downs. How, how much, and, and you touched on the fact that uh, uh, you've made some uh, changes that allowed you to, to sort of reorganize space last year, uh, back there, you got a, a warehouse to source some ingredients in. How much longer do you have before you're gonna have to look for another building for production purposes or, or an expansion for production? So our, the way I look at it is we have not, because we were able to add more fermentation capacity, and we're, we're brewing five days a week, generally about two shifts a day, so there's still a lot of room operationally that we could potentially get out of this facility. But even last year when we were looking, does it make sense to, to do that now, to build a new facility and then and, and, and stay self-distributed and all that? We looked at, well, that's, that's running a whole other business basically at that point and um, making sure that both locations are running and, and from a overall bandwidth and our bandwidth and just where we see the business right now, that's that's not something we wanted to take on. So we probably right now in the plan, we probably still have a good two to three years before we'd have to do anything. But the way I I've always uh, kind of mentioned before that I don't want to from a overall production capacity. I think there's a lot of really good beer being made a lot of places. So I don't necessarily think that our beer needs to be all over the place. If people want it, that's one thing. I think. So I think that that will allow us to continue to focus on what we're doing and the quality of the beer we're making here. And the other part of the business that we, we have a, a good comfort level is running, running the tap room, doing events and stuff like that. So I could, I could see that being a, a next phase. And I think folks have done that successfully. I mean, across the street, the guys at BrewDog do that very successfully. And um, I think that's a model that uh, a lot more breweries are starting to do and and allows you to experiment more too because the bigger you keep getting the more you have to make stiff arm or just right. stiff arm or just greenskeeper and you limit some of the creativity that you got into the business and depending on how what you're doing what what made it fun for a while so those are the things that we've even talked about with our brewers that having those opportunities to keep it fresh and, and Speaking of BrewDog, them moving in across the street, how did you feel about that? One of the cool things was the moment that they came to America on this, this kind of run, they had been looking down here in Franklinton before they kind of announced. And so we met uh, some of the folks really early on, fellow Ginger, uh, Keith, Keith Bennett, who's, who's, who's an awesome guy. We took him to a crew playoff game. We, we've had a lot of fun hanging out with a lot of them. So we, we took in the story. It was like a 30-degree night. I, I think they were playing Montreal. Walt and I are there and we're all bundled up in like winter jackets and long johns and extra double layers and he shows up in jeans and a jean jacket. <laughs> it's, it's just a bit. So, and then they, they invited us to their first AGM that they had here uh, when there wasn't any tanks or anything, but they just had Mark, uh, our director of operations on the new BrewDog TV show. So we've had a great relationship with them. And one of the things that it, we weren't unsure of, but has really come to fruition. And we saw this very early on when we were kind of building out our beer garden, they were opening up, and the amount of foot traffic that it, that yeah. the more people that are coming down here and stopping by Strongwater, stopping by us, stopping by BrewDog. In the beginning, we saw our check average go down, but we, the number of visitors have gone up. We've, we've, had, we've had record months since they've been here, and I think it's been a good dynamic between the two of us. You'll see a lot of their folks over here, and our folks will go over there to get out, get away from the brewery sometimes well, too. You get that progressive instead of maybe having two or three beers here, people split it, but they're you're hop, drawing yep. more 
people involved. Ex exactly, and that's you know, great for just the neighborhood overall between us, Rehab, Strongwater, and BrewDog. Now folks can come down and, and pop around as opposed to just choosing one. One of the things that, that we, when we met with the owner of um, Seven Sun is the amount of foot traffic that increased when residential units went in. That's happening now here. Are you excited about that, that more people are going to be walking around the neighborhood looking for something to do? De uh, definitely. That's that's one that, for all of the increased traffic we've got, it's still, there's not, uh, east of 315, there's not much residential down here in Franklinton. So a lot of that has been that we're a destination down here. And when we got rid of ha half the parking lot for the beer garden, that was something people were like, are you sure you want to do that? And uh, parking is still and will continue to be an issue down here. But that's, that's one that uh, I don't even know if we're ready for that from. Uh, but it, it excites us to think about all the other new folks that can come down and drink beer. And you know, those Tuesday night, just pop, pop, pop in to have a beer. And um, from a space uh, capacity, that's one that we're starting to worry about that right now on a Friday night, Thursday night, we, uh, if you don't have the overflow of the beer garden, uh, we're, we're going to run out of space in here. So that's <laughs> a nice to problem to have though, worrying yeah. about too many people. That is, yeah, here. yeah, that is, yeah. And, but the one thing that is, and I'm, you know, going to crowded bars and stuff like that, are you going to get the same experience that you got when uh, it wasn't that crowded or anything? And I, I, that, our bartenders have done a great job there, uh, an awesome group that a lot of them have been here um, for multiple years. So it's, it's, uh, we, we do have a great staff. So the, the local beer scene is a lot more populated today than it was uh, even when you started right. four years ago. If you were starting a brewery today, uh, number one, would you start a brewery today? And number two, would it be different from how you've run land grant, just given how the market's in? When I get asked this question a lot, I the first thing I say is if we were to have done everything we did four years ago today, we would not be successful, anywhere near as successful as we were today. That We benefited from the timing a lot of times when we'd go into a bar, even though like, we knew a lot of the bar owners because you know, a lot of our first sales guy, uh, Joe and, and, and Luke worked in bars and their friends ran bars so we'd go in there and they'd be like, oh yeah, we know you. Or, or if we didn't even know them, they'd say, oh, you're local. Yeah, we'll put you on, we'll, we'll, we'll give it a shot. And now it doesn't matter if you're local or not. There's just so, so many local breweries, as you said, and uh, just not enough taps. They're not necessarily, at that point, bars were just starting to increase their coolers and taps. So we, had, we were at great timing. So I. I, but to the question, would I do it again? Absolutely. I, I think this is something that it's, it's, it's hard at times, but it's very rewarding from the entrepreneurship side. Every time we come out with a new beer, it's like starting a new business. They're, we have that spark. There are times, and it's really weird, I've never had this, like sometimes like it's, like, oh, it's already Friday? Like today, it's Thursday that we're doing this, and just not enough hours in the week sometimes to do stuff. But would I do it the same way? If we were opening today, no. I would, I would be very hesitant to open a production brewery at this point. And I think that's when people ask, when people come to us, they're like, yeah, we're thinking about starting a brewery, we're gonna go into cans and blah, blah, blah. Like right now in the industry, we, we found out today we're getting six pallets of cans next week and that's gonna get us by for a, a month because they're out of cans. They, there's a shortage of um, production because so many people are canning, there's not the capacity there. So 
Larry from Four String was down here. We're both trying to like figure out how, I mean, it's, it's, it's impacting a lot of people. So if we can't put the beer in the cans, how are you going to get it out there? And then the second half is they're not making the grocery stores any, the, the beer aisles any longer. So to get into Kroger, to get into Giant Eagle, the competitiveness, it, that's, that's very, very scary. And um, especially if you're doing it itself, that's, that's one of the reasons we went uh, that the, the distributor can help us in those right those areas. We've, we've, we sold beer through those channels, but they don't necessarily want to deal with 40, 50 different vendors bringing in their products. So um, that's one that I'd be very weary about going the production route. And but starting a a brew, brew pub or tap room that made beer for the neighborhood, made beer just for the surrounding area, I think that there's there's a lot of room for that as long as you're focusing on making quality beer and sure. give your customers a great experience. I don't I don't think there is a shortage of, of those breweries. So that's the that's the one like Bart Watson at the Brewers Association as a data geek like I, I eat his stuff up all the time that you know there's six thousand or plus breweries now but four thousand of those are under a thousand barrels basically so they're they're very small breweries that aren't necessarily you know even in Columbus with the or Central Ohio there's only a handful of us that are producing at capacity for distribution like like that so that would be the way that we'd go differently as a, a former home brewer somebody who loved to do what you did you don't do that very much that's anymore. that's that's the second that, that that is actually the first question I ask people is so do you love do you love beer and, and do you love brewing and are you getting into it because you love beer or do you like running a business? And if they say, well, I, I just love making beer. I want to make beer all the time. Uh, one of the things is, well, you know you can be a brewer too. You don't have to open a brewery. And if you do like brewing, don't just own the brewery it, unless you're doing it at a very smaller scale because there's just not enough hours in the day to do that. I, I brewed my first batch of beer in two years a couple weeks ago. Now, now some people, can find the time to do that too, but that's that's kind of where we are in our our staffing and, and and work level. But it's definitely a whole different animal. I know people that even brewers. It, I'm I'm shocked when our brewer our, like a lot of our brewers still homebrew, which is great because they they can experiment. And they uh, one of our brewers, Dan, has brought some of the stuff he's done. He's like, try this. I'm like, we need to make this. Like they, it allows him to on his own time to experiment and kind of do different things. So. You know, when you're doing it all the time, you kind of take the fun out of it as well. That why'd you Would get you into brewing during the business side of it? Though? That's why. I, I mean, that's I love I love beer and I love the the, the business side. That's I always, uh, you know, I, in high school I ran a web design company with my friend. I, my grew up. My my dad had his own. Uh, he's an optometrist. My grandfather ran a radio station. So I, I I grew up around people that ran their own businesses, and that's something that I always had in my mind that I, that was a, the direction I really wanted to go. So yes, there's beer involved, but everything else that you run into in any other business, HR and accounting and raising money, and that, that, that stuff that you face. But I, I knew that going in, so it's not as, I know some people like, you know, oh, I just, yeah, want to get in for the beer, but then don't realize all the other things are still out of dough. And then, then it's also alcohol, so it's highly regulated. So yeah, that legal thing. I always say I'm waiting for my Juris Doctorate from Ohio State, the, my honorary degree. So, I wanted to go back to the can issue. What's so um, um, you have Ball, who bought Rexam about a year or two ago, or maybe a little longer. And then you have Crown, uh, Crown Cork and Seal. 
and then Ardal, which I had not heard of. They're smaller, but we're actually starting to talk to them too. And then there's a another manufacturer down in Mexico, uh, Novellus. They make Evercan. That's who Ryan Geist uses. And about three years ago, right when we started, right after we started canning, they realized we have too many customers, and they're making all these craft breweries are making all these one-off beers or limited seasonals that they're ordering half truckloads and. So they changed from half truckloads to full truckloads and they cut half their customers. And there was a lot of folks in town that got cut. We luckily didn't at that time because we're like, I kind of argued, we're gonna start making a lot of beer. We're gonna be in the stadium. We need a lot of stiff arm cans. What are we gonna do? And so a few uh, third party suppliers showed up and started helping out. But then this year, so we ordered blank cans that we use for our seasonals back in May. And at that time there was a two week lead time on blank cans. So they didn't show up in two weeks. End of the month, they changed the lead time to eight weeks. From eight weeks, they didn't show up, and now we're being told it's 16 weeks, and we're on week 19 of a, of a 16 week lead time. And we're talking to, there was one of our friends had a wedding here, and uh, had a friend uh, in from the wedding that works in the industry in New Jersey. They're seeing the same thing in shortages, that they, they can't get cans all over the country. And I, I've been talking to people just at other breweries, I was talking to Justin at Platform, that apparently and and then heard from someone directly at crown that this past year they shut a couple plants because uh, both ball and crown that larger soda manufacturers and and beer manufacturers predicted a downswing and actually had an a surp, uh, they had an increase in their business so all of that capacity where they run those blank cans and are being taken up by the big guys right now and, and when they need more beer they're going to get more beer that's their purchasing powers so if you're a new brewery that only has canning what happens you just may not get cans and we even heard from even sam adams had to cut some of their pro, pro, their projected production just because they couldn't get cans because they do that truly uh sparkling water and it's in the slimline cans and Mick Ultra is the fastest growing macro beer right now and they're in the slimline cans so they can't get it so you're just out of luck there's not much that you can do I mean to your rainbows and sunshine and unicorns question I mean that's that's basically what we deal with we all kind of lean on each other for that because technically we're competing against each other but we're also in the same business as these megalithic giants. I remember the Beer Wars movie from six years, seven years ago where Sam Caligione's like, yeah, Anheuser-Busch spills more in a day than I make in a year. That, I mean, that's that's what we're dealing with from the purchasing power that they have and we're, you know, we're technically doing the same thing. We're selling beer, but you know, us buying hops and we're buying you know, 40,000 pounds worth of hops and that that's not even you know, comparing us to even Sierra Nevada or even just Brewdog, it's 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 a pittance. So, to try to convince someone like, yeah, we're we're also important over here. Like, uh, that, that's what makes it just an interesting dynamic. Because right now on the consumer playing field, like, it, it took a while. But consumers look at a lot of consumers look at craft beer the same, and that took a while to even get that. Where it used to be this niche kind of product, now we're selling right alongside, and at times even more than the the big guys and that's you know going back for us it's always interesting too because we're in the stadium we're in all these things so people are like you know might perceive us to be this really big well thought out planned thing and it's like no it's just Walt and I <laughs> like kind of going with the flow a lot and it's worked out so and everyone else here not just me so. uh, going back to your brewing days what was the first craft beer you tried and then what was the 
first beer you made? In? So first craft beer I tried uh, back in college, one of our roommates actually drank Sierra Nevada quite a bit. And this is back when we were splurging if we bought a 30 rack of Bush Light. And it was normally Natty, that and was our yeah, that was that was. And the one time, well, we had it was 2005 Fiesta Bowl. We had a kegerator at our house, and we bought we had Milwaukee's best, and it was pouring foamy, so we poured it in pitchers. But we had someone had a lot of lime, so we put limes in it. And people were like, "Oh my God, you guys splurge! This beer is amazing." And we're like, "Yeah, you put lime in a shitty beer; it tastes good." Uh, but uh, so I run roommate would drink Sierra Nevada, and we're like, "Oh my God, that beer is so bitter! How do you?" How do you do that? And now I see Sierra Nevada, it's like a go-to. It's like, if they have that, I know I'm going to get a, a good beer. So that that was really the, the kind of the first one. And then I did do, I lived in Madison for 10 months after I moved away from Columbus. My friend lived above a Great Dane brew pub. And so we used to go there all the time. And that that's really what got me, oh, you can make this on the smaller scale. I, I never, we never really went to Barley's while we were in college too much. We never left campus too much. So. But the first beer we brewed, we made a fat tire clone. So Amber Ale was a, a good start. And then we tried making a Pliny the, and then we're like, yeah, we're, we're gonna just go on, we're gonna make a Pliny the Elder clone. We're just gonna make a hoppiest beer, so. Uh, How'd that Pliny clone turn out? Oh, it was out? terrible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was all, that was all foam. It was, yeah. uh, we, we, and we, we didn't have pictures at my house, so we like, it was a weekend that a lot of my friends from Columbus came up and, we were serving out like a, a bowl that you know, it was just, it was, it was fun. But we thought it was great at the time. Sure. We thought it was great. We're like, oh man, taste all those hops. This yeah. is great. This is a great beer. So um, one of the questions we ask everyone is if, if one of the, uh, you know, the big companies came knocking and said, hey, we would like to acquire you. Like, what, what would your, your feeling, what's your reaction to, to that hypothetical? So I think our timing is probably off that we're probably a couple years too late and they figured out that Ballast Point isn't worth a billion dollars because I, I, if, if some, well, if, if I, I couldn't sit here with a straight face, someone came and said, yeah, we'll give you a billion dollars. I'd like to go play a lot of golf. So <laughs> that, that would be pretty, but no, I, I, I think that it's always an interesting question. I, and I was, I mentioned, I was in Chicago. I was in Chicago when Goose Island got acquired. It was the first brewery, basically craft brewery that got acquired, one of the originals. And you know, John Hall did a lot for craft craft beer and so that was asked all around and I think the guys at Revolution put it the best because I, I don't always get all the vitriol for it because they're businesses and that's what I don't think a lot of you know going back to the question about why'd you get into beer yes I love beer but it's also a business this is my life this is my job I don't have another job I don't have any other investments I don't own my house like if this is not successful like anyone else does their job, that's that's part of it, and uh, and that's what one of the guys at Revolution said, and said, you know, I'm in my mid 40s, you know, that eventually I'm going to have to retire. I don't have any kids, so you know, what is what is the exit plan? And, and I think a lot of people give it. What I don't like is when the when a brewery comes out and says, no, we'll never sell. That's just you know, we're we're, we're in it forever, and 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 then they sell the next. I mean, they sell the next week it, it, inevitably, but. Or the, the reasoning is, well, we couldn't reach the distribution network that we wanted to, and that's where I go back to why you got to be realistic with who you are as a business. If you can't do that, then that's not you doing that. That's someone else doing that for you. But if that's, just be honest, if that's your exit strategy, that's your exit strategy. Now, I don't have kids, but I'm only 34 years old, so I plan on doing this for a really long time. Now, I do want to play a little more golf, so I'll try to, not that, that we're going to, be selling the brewery but that's that's the way I really 
look at it. It's not, um, and it's really how you're setting it up. I think the like Oscar Blues. If you look at what they've done, they sold out. They they have they're they're now owned by private equity. Now they're part of that, but they handled it and they're they're working with other breweries and no one is sitting there going oh yeah oscar blues and i'm never going to buy a cigar city beer or, or 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 what they're doing versus you know the the backlash that the wicked weed wicked weed or or well or, or, breckenridge was the perfect example yeah. of we're never going to sell and then they sold and then said well we need to do this i mean that's kind of the one that i always think about but this is a business at the end of the day that we need to make sure that we're making great beer and we're, we're doing that.